Hey everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. Today I'm sitting here with Jessica Bednars. She's the Director of Innovation and Director of the Justice Entrepreneurs Project. Uh, it's a small business incubator for lawyers to start their own socially conscious and innovative law firms. Learn more if you're a lawyer at chicagobarfoundation.org slash JEP. And if you're looking for legal help, then uh, go to jepchicago.org. Jessica, it's a pleasure to have you on. You nailed it. Thanks, Steve. It's really, fun. it's really exciting to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit. Uh, I mean, I gave that little brief description. What is a, a socially conscious and innovative law firm? Yeah, great question. So we're trying to do things differently over at the Justice Entrepreneurs Project. There is a substantial amount of people who do not currently have access to legal services. And these are everyday people, um, people who you know make too much money to qualify for legal aid, but not enough money to pay market rates for attorneys, which can be several hundred dollars per hour. Um, and these are just for everyday problems like family law, um, housing, consumer debt, immigration, things like that, um, and small business work too. There's this huge group of people who need legal help, but don't currently have access to it, um, or at least they think they don't have access to it. And we can kind of dive into why that is, but um, the project was created uh, just under eight years ago specifically to target that audience. So that's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to do it um, a number of different ways uh, that we refer to as innovative, which are, for example, we don't bill by the hour. Um, so oftentimes when people think of attorneys, they think of a billable hour. Right. Um, our attorneys our attorneys don't do that. Um, instead, we are training them to offer um, some sort of set fees, whether that be kind of a fixed fee for an entire case or maybe just an individual task, um, or it could be like a monthly recurring fee similar to a subscription fee. Um, we're also doing things like unbundling the services. So um, this is how a lot of people consume other things in the world. You know, sometimes they want all of something, sometimes they only want part of something. Right. Um, and that's what we're training our attorneys to do too. You know, sometimes um, somebody has money to pay for services, but maybe not for full representation, or, or maybe they just want to do part of the case on their own. Mm -hmm. So we tra train our attorneys how to do that and um, to offer that as an option to people as well. And then we're also providing a lot of training um, with respect to technology and how attorneys can use that in their practice to bring down the cost of delivering services, but also to engage with clients. You know, a lot of um, clients these days, they want attorneys who they can communicate with by text, <clears throat> or they want to be able to go to a portal, or they just want to not have to go to the office, for example. Um, Especially so, now, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So we're, we, we focus on that as well. So those are just some examples of how we're um, really doing things differently and trying to be uh, innovative and socially conscious in that we really are targeting kind of that middle, low middle income audience. Yeah, it, I mean, we had a long conversation last time uh, on the phone, just kind of outlining what JEP does and kind of uh, a little bit of your background. And, you know, we really were talking right now is probably the best time to make some changes and innovate because people are kind of wondering, hey, how do we operate now with all the COVID stuff and, you know, operating virtually? It, it's very different. How has that impacted what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, because we've been doing this for a while and kind of um, training our attorneys to do these types of things, um, especially with respect to technology, our, our, a lot of our attorneys had a, I don't want to say a seamless transition, but um, with respect to moving their practices online, they did. Of course, it was tough for all of the obvious reasons. But um, yeah, so 
one major thing that happened was that the courts also had to transition online eventually. Right. Um, that wasn't something that happened immediately, but um, for the most part, uh, most courtrooms were able to do that relatively quickly. I'm not sure uh, how many people actually knew that outside the legal profession. I think a lot of people unfortunately thought that when they heard the, the court shut down, that just everything was shut down and everything was closed, but they remained open. They just moved online. And I think that's a great transition. And I'm hoping that's something that will continue going forward because what it does is it just cuts down the time that attorneys have to spend, you know, kind of traveling to and from court. So theoretically that should cut down on the cost of delivering the services. Um, I think ultimately it would be really helpful for um, clients too, because hopefully, you know, they'll get the same benefits. They won't now have to travel to court either. You know, it's not great for everyone. And um, we are learning that, you know, we know some people are not tech savvy and or just don't have access to the technology that they need to do this. But we're hoping uh, this can at least be an option. And if people want to use it, then, then they can. So that has been a huge silver lining, I think, from the pandemic. Yeah. And you touched on uh, one of the points that we actually talked about before transit time you know going back and forth to court makes it a lot easier when you don't have to do that if you're not charging by the hour right so yeah absolutely it's kind of like this, yeah and just within the legal profession transitioning from thinking of court as a place and more as a process and as we do that you know right. people don't need to go to a certain place necessarily in order to get justice um, it should be more of a process and they should have more options for accessing it Definitely, definitely, yeah. And so, let's let's do it both ways. So let's let's talk about um, the entrepreneur side of it first, because that's a big component to what you do. Uh, yeah. I want to figure out, you know, exactly kind of like what was the. Explain a little bit about how you bill, not by the hour, but by the service. Tell me a little bit about that, because we we talked about that in detail. If you can, just lay it all out as much as you can. <laughs> Yeah, so I think what uh, what my experience has been, and you know, I was a practicing attorney at one point too, is that um, most attorneys don't have any sort of strategy for pricing. Their strategy is to kind of, you know, look to their neighbor per se and say, you know, what practice area am I in? How much experience do I have? What is everyone else doing? What are they charging hourly? Which is, you know, not a strategy at all, right? nothing rooted in any sort of business principles. Um, There are then some people who at least, you know, at a minimum will um, figure out what their costs are and kind of reverse engineer it and make sure that they're at least covering their costs, which is good. You know, you want to be a profitable practice. So that's, I think, better than uh, the first option that I outlined. But what we try to do at the JEP is um, focus more on value and and not on time and not on costs, really. Um, So instead of starting with a cost, which is, you know, on the back end and on the attorney side, we instead say you should start with the customer and then work towards the back. So really thinking about what it is, you know, what is your value proposition? Why is it that people should work with you? Um, And there are just so many different ways to define value. I mean, I think attorneys usually um, just think about it as, as their time, which is not the case at all, right? Nobody wants to buy time. Right. Um, that would be amazing, actually, if you could buy time, right? Because it's limited. But Definitely. that's not why people are coming to attorneys. That's very expensive. Um, what they are typically looking for is a solution to a legal issue. But oftentimes, they're looking for more than that, too. You know, if it's somebody who works normal business hours, they might also be looking for an attorney who has flexible consultation times. Like, maybe mm-hmm. they meet, meet with people on the weekends. 
Um, so just additional things like that, you know, peace of mind, um, convenience, just all those things that, uh, in addition to just a solution, all of those things are value. And thinking about as best as you can, putting yourself in the legal consumer shoes, or even better, you know, go out and talk to people who are your target clients right. and present to them what it is you're looking to offer, um, or ideally ask them, you know, it, it might be tough for them because they might not, there's a, um, there's a statistic that like 50% of the people who have a legal issue don't even recognize that it has a legal solution. So that sure. might not be a good strategy. But, you know, once you determine what people, um, once you have kind of a, a menu of options, if you will, presenting it to people and trying to get a price that way. And then once you've done that, I think you can, the way that we teach it, which might be hard to explain in just 30 seconds, but we kind of then have people break down their services into, into different effort buckets. And then from there, um, you know, once a month, you should probably be looking at your financial statements and making sure that you are covering yeah. your costs and then, you know, and then making adjustments accordingly. So that's how we, that's what we focus on. We focus on value pricing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about your foundation, your project here is, is helping lawyers start a practice, helping them come up with the process and kind of the, the pricing and all the things that you're talking about right now. This is for somebody that's looking to open their own practice, start their own business, become their own entrepreneur, um, you know, and, and do it do it from scratch, right? So um, okay. there's a lot there. Do you get into how, I mean, you kind of touched on it, how, you know, figuring out what your value uh, add is and talking to your clients, but how do you approach marketing and things like that? Do you approach, what, what are the other topics that you cover? What are the other things that you kind of impart on, you know, the, the people that are in your project? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a long list. And we have sure. we've developed a checklist specifically for this reason. But um, yeah, so we provide a lot of training at the JEP. Um, substantive training we provide in partnership with some of our legal aid organizations. And we could talk about that if you want. But um, the business side of the training, which is what you're referring to, we do offer that in-house. And we partner up with a bunch of um, contacts that we have in legal our firms and um, just other allied professionals, they come in and dedicate their time to training our attorneys every every cohort. So that's every six months. Um, and what we offer, so we start out usually with a boot camp. It's usually uh, two weeks long. And during that boot camp, we, we offer kind of foundational training that will give people all the information they need to hang their shingle, you know, the next week if that's what they want to do. Um, and then we build on that once a week thereafter for six months. And some of the other topics are exactly what you said. Business development is certainly one of them. We have a foundational training during that boot camp. And then we have this awesome relationship with a company called Growth Play. Um, and they come in in month seven on the program and actually have one-on-one -on -one business development sessions with all of our attorneys. Wow. Um, other topics um, are on marketing more generally, um, entity formation and tax issues. Um, trust accounting, of course, and just ethics overall. Um, I'm trying to think some other ones. We had one on uh, how to build a website, uh, kind of a general introduction to law practice management and technology, and then we take deeper dives into more specific areas of that later in the six months. Mm -hmm. um, but then we have fun sessions too, like we'll bring in a panel of former JPs or JEP alums, if you will, and. Sure. Um, you know, they'll kind of give a brief presentation about their practice, but it's just a really great opportunity for attorneys then to ask questions, you know, all the questions. How did you price? You know, were you feeling anxious the first week? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It's I mean, that's a really I was really happy to hear uh, when I when I heard the first time what it is that you're doing, because 
I talk, I've spoken with a lot of lawyers and um, one of, I mean, not just lawyers, but anybody that opens a business doesn't really know what they're getting themselves into. Never. You know, they, they think they do. They hear stories. They see other people doing it. But once you're in it, it's much different. There's much more going on. And um, from what I hear uh, in law school, they don't really teach you anything about business. You know, they teach you about the law. Right. And then you have to figure out the rest. Maybe you go work for another company. Maybe, you know, um, you start your own thing. But this is a really interesting thing. Uh, I like now more than ever, people are kind of wondering, um, should I do this myself out of school? Uh, should I should I, you know, leave my my whatever you call it, your practice that you're in? You know, I don't even know what you call a law firm that has multiple partners or something. Should I start my own thing after that? What what is the percentage of people that are coming straight from school, and or or coming from another firm? Yeah, I would say the majority are um, either coming straight from law school or are a I would say three or less years out. Um, more recently, we have had a few more people who are more experienced and or coming from uh, other practice settings, whether it be a big firm or um, legal aid. We've had some legal aid attorneys, things like that. But I would say most of the attorneys are newer attorneys and uh, they're they're entrepreneurial you know they do want to start their own business they're socially justice minded too of course that's part of our program big hearts um, but no they want to start their own practices and I you know we get kind of get an equal mix of because they just love business and some of them love being a business owner more than they actually love practicing law which is mm. great we need people like that for sure um, a lot of them do it because they just want autonomy, frankly. They want control over their life. And unfortunately, in the legal profession, we just haven't created a lot of opportunities that allow you to have that. And especially ones that will allow you to have the work-life balance, but then also the opportunity to, um, you know, make however much money you want. You know, the sky's kind of the limit, depending on how you set up your practice. So. We find that I, if we surveyed our attorneys, I would I guarantee you autonomy would be number one or two probably on almost all of their lists. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I can see that definitely. I mean, if you if you have especially if you're really into a certain cause, it's kind of hard to take a whole firm with other people towards that direction, right? Yeah, um, and they're just limited. There were just limited options. You know, if you're traditionally if you are you know, a do-getter, as people like to call it, your path is, is legal aid, which is great, but there are only so many slots in legal aid and it's very competitive. Uh, so there's not a, you know, a lot of opportunities there. You could uh, try to do government work, again, limited opportunities. And then it just seems like then it's firm life and, and right. big firm life or working for other, um, maybe even smaller practices, but perhaps are a little more traditional and again, maybe tied to the, the billable hour, which we seem to find corresponds to, you know, having to bill a lot of hours, not having good work-life balance. Right. So yeah, I think people are just looking for, for different paths and this is a good way for people to do good, but also have control over their life and, you know, create a good living, or earn a good living. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I can imagine, though, if you come from, um, if you start out somewhere else and you're billing hourly, it's going to going to be kind of hard to transition to something different like this, right? So how do you prepare people? To be, is that like upfront? Hey, this is how we want you to do it. I think that's the way that you uh, outlined it to me that, you know, you, you feel that this is an important structure of the business to be able to offer these services to people that are not uh, able to, you know, spend 
thousands and thousands of dollars to get something solved, right? So uh, outline your thinking, your thought process of that. Uh, I mean, if you bill by the hour, but you know exactly what you need to do and you market target uh, to a lower you know, income person, that's one way to do it. But why did you fall on uh, you know, not doing it that way? Why do you preach it that way? Yeah, it's a good question. It's because it doesn't provide any transparency or predictability to the customer. So, you know, the target market that we're looking at, budget conscious people, I'm in this market as well. You know, I have a budget every month and I need to know whether or not things that I purchase fit within it. And it should be the same thing for legal. You know, people only have so much they can spend and they as a lawyer, you should be able to tell them based off of the information they provide to you whether you can offer a solution that fits their budget, whether that be full representation, an unbundled service of some sort, maybe it's a DIY service with some information and, and an unbundled service, whatever that is. But the reason we chose the set fees really is because it is more transparent and offers predictability. And um, you were saying that we it can be hard for an attorney billed by the hour to transition to a practice like this and billing like this, and I think that's right. And when the program started eight, just under eight years ago, um, we initially would only take people who I think, I think it was five years or less out of law school. We were specifically looking for newer lawyers because the concern was exactly that. You know, if somebody's coming from a more traditional practice, they they just it's a it's almost a mindset yeah, you know once right. you bill by the hour just everything seems to revolve around that like even i mean we hear this in, in law school and it's i think it's supposed to be a joke but i think it's also just sad which is like you know if you have a if you're thinking about your case while you're in the shower then you need to bill for that so even <laughs> while you're showering you're thinking about the, the billable hour which is just bonkers um, so yes, that was kind of our rule. We've um, relaxed that a bit. We now target people who are 10 years or less out of law school, but we do make exceptions here and there and have done that. And, and that has worked out okay. But we are definitely very, uh, we try to be very transparent about that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we have that, or we try to make it transparent in our messaging, but then also um, during our info sessions and certainly during the interview process, like we talk a lot about it and ask questions to try to gauge whether or not we think it might be a problem for them. That's interesting. And you, you actually went on to another question of mine, the interview process. So you, you, you outlined a couple different criteria that, that you have, 10 years uh, out of law school, but what are the other things that you have to, uh, you know, other boxes you have to check? Yeah, so the technical requirements, and then I'll um, expand upon it, are you have to have graduated from law school. So we do ask for um, a law school trans transcript just to, to verify that. Um, we also ask for a resume and then we ask you to submit a statement of interest that outlines your vision for the practice at this point and then also we ask you to describe any entrepreneurial experience that you have or, or the, some, anything that is the spirit of entrepreneurship. Um, if they could just talk about that. So those are the technical requirements but then the type of people we're looking for um, Again, people who really do want to own a business. And we ask a lot of questions around that, because like you said, as much as we talk about it and as best as we can, we try to set people's expectations, but you can never quite do it. And yeah. people just do, I just, they rarely understand how much work it's going to be and how tough it's gonna be. And oftentimes just, it's, it's not gonna happen overnight. You know, this is no. gonna take a long time to build a book of business and get to a point where you have some discretionary income. So. We want to make sure that people really want to do that. Um, 
we want to make sure people aren't just entering the program as they're looking for a job, you know, kind of as a holdover place. Mm. Um, you know, we want people who are excited about business. Um, we want people who want to help people and, you know, not just want to create a firm that's uh, helping people with mergers, mergers and acquisitions. You know, we don't recruit those types of people. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, and you know, we're looking for some of the traits that we find entrepreneurs have. So we want people to be uh, open to experimentation and, and failing, you know, we, we don't, Yeah. we do want people to fail, you know, that's how you learn. And we try to, 100%. yeah, like we try to um, ask questions about that and just let people know, like, that's the type of culture that we have. Those are the people we're looking for. We want people who are very collaborative and kind of open source, you know, we're going to give you a lot of information, but we really want you to be giving back to the program and to others in the program. I find that there's a, a certain type of person and I, I feel like your program is kind of a little different than the normal person that's really, really into the details of, of the technicalities of different things. Like that seems like a, a person that doesn't necessarily always fit the, uh, the mold for an entrepreneur because there's so much flexibility and kind of having a pivot all the time, figuring out what works, failing, getting back up and trying it again. That has to be really frustrating for a lot of people that come out of that really structured environment of law school. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because I think there are a lot of uh, characteristics that make you a, make one a good attorney that do not necessarily make you a good entrepreneur. So. Right. Uh, for example, um, risk aversion, right? As attorneys, that's one of the biggest value we can offer people is identifying risk and trying to solve for that. And um, so it's tough. I think that, you know, there are only so many people that are currently recruited into law school and graduate from law school who would be good, good candidates for our program. I think that pool is probably pretty small for that right. reason. Um, but what we try to highlight is that, you know, as a business as, as an owner of a law firm, you're going to have to wear different hats. So as best as you can, you need to have that hat on when you're a lawyer. But when you're working on your business, you need to be able to take that hat off and make that transition, which I think is tough. But I think it's also just kind of a mindset thing. Um, and I think once you're able to be mindful of it and identify when you need to do it, then I think it's possible. But uh, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's tough. And and for that reason, I think oftentimes I think about this and others in the profession think about it. And this is why some of the other work that I do is regulatory reform, which is that, um, yes, we will always have at least somewhat of a pool of attorneys who will want to start their own businesses and will be good at that and will be able to scale, et cetera. But a lot of attorneys just want to practice law and perhaps it makes more sense to instead of trying to train attorneys how to be or all attorneys how to be good business owners perhaps it makes more sense to instead partner with some allied professionals who have this other business or technology or whatever else expertise is there a way we can better partner with them and bring them into our law firms that i think yeah. in a lot of situations probably makes more sense but the, yeah, th yeah i wanted to touch on that because it's a really interesting thing so one thing with the, the entrepreneur mindset is it's not for everybody it's very clear that it's not for everybody some people get into it they think it's for them and they quickly find out or that and that's the good thing if they quickly find out sometimes they're five years down the road or seven years down the road and then they realize this isn't for me and they got to start all over again so it's an interesting thing that you bring that up and it makes a lot of sense. Now, another thing that makes sense is, you know, have you 
if there's if there's somebody that that clearly hey you know what I've gone through the program I just don't think this is for me you know I, I gave it a shot I don't think it's for me do you ever match those people with somebody that's that's that it is for them and you know maybe it's a uh, somebody that goes through the program and they want to start up and they're successful and then you kind of like you know match them up to, to get hired is that a possibility is that something that you've thought of um so usually by the time people have that conversation with us they have already kind of thought about that themselves but that's certainly something that we would be open to doing you know ultimately we want to see them be successful and oftentimes uh We'll have attorneys, if they leave our program, they'll usually go to, um, not always, but usually legal aid or do like the public defender's office or the mm -hmm. state's attorney's office. Um, and we consider, we still consider those to be successes in our program. It's not a success in that, you know, they're having a long-term firm that's helping our target markets, but, you know, we still gave them very valuable skills that they are now using at, at one of our partner organizations um, and helping people. So. But yeah, I mean, that is definitely something we would do. But like I said, usually um, usually people kind of come to that conclusion on their own and have already started exploring by the time they actually voice that to us. Sure. Um, there are definitely some people who, well, and it's kind of hard to evaluate, right? Because we do collect some information, but unless we see someone who's just really unhappy, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's no great way for us to evaluate really like the health of their firm. It's... We do ask them every time around, you know, do you see yourself opening a JEP practice or opening, maintaining a JEP practice five years from now? Um, the percentage of people that usually hovers right around 90%, and that's a great indicator or at least one indicator we use. You know, if someone says no, we do reach out and explore that further. Um, I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's, it's things like there was an attorney who um, it sounded like uh, her husband could possibly, his job might be transferring to another state. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it's just things like that where, you know, perhaps they could hold on to their practice and that would be a conversation that we could have. But sometimes it just it doesn't even have anything to do with their own business. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, I mean, you can't, yeah. it, it, I would, I would be skeptical if you said a hundred percent of the people, you yeah. know, worked out. Um, so as far as the, the, the setting goes, though, is it is it like a classroom setting? Is it a one on one? How does it work? You know, the, the program itself? Good question. Uh, I'll tell you about it pre COVID, during COVID, and then we'll see what happens post COVID. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we do have a space. Um, our current space is located at 73 West Monroe, which is right next to the Italian village downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, so physical space and attorneys have access to that and um, for the first six months they have floating workspace and for months 7 through 18 they have de designated desks and in that space we have client meeting rooms and we also have a larger conference room which is where we would hold all of our training pre-COVID. Um, and in addition to just the training that comes with the program we kind of have ad hoc additional trainings that pop up here and there based on need and when we learn about something new. Um, so kind of all of the activities really did take place in person. Um, we do things like mentoring pairs. We usually organize social events. We try to take uh, advantage of free ones, of course, because we're a nonprofit. But there are so many like concerts in the park and things like that in the summer that we typically yeah. organize events around. Um, so it really was a very much in-person experience outside of like, you know, we kind of use Google Drive for our knowledge management center with our templates and resources and things like that. Um, you know, we had a transition online for the 
pandemic. Uh, the office is still open. Um, people have used it when they needed to, but all of our trainings and um, events and everything have been moved online. Um, Post-COVID, I'm really curious to see, you know, we do annual check-ins with our attorneys um, and we've started that process right now. And we're gonna be, this is something we're gonna be talking with them about because we definitely do wanna um, transition back to in-person events for sure. And at least some trainings, but we're just trying to figure out exactly how people see themselves using the space uh, maybe not necessarily this summer, but like a year from now or yeah. whenever we're like completely past the pandemic. I think it'll be some sort of hybrid, but I'm not sure exactly what it'll look like. So that's kind of TBD. I think it could look a lot of different ways. Um, and I think something actually you and I might have talked about, maybe this is a good time to mention it, is that um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of empty space right now because yeah. a lot of a lot of companies um, are letting their, well, they had to let their employees work from home during the pandemic, but they're probably going to continue to do that in some form going forward. Um, we're curious to see, you know, what some of the legal aid organizations and other community organizations do. Um, and there could be an opportunity, for example, for us, the JEP, to partner with some organization in the community where, you know, maybe instead of paying for the size base that we have now, Downtown, we pay for a smaller space, but then take some of that money and put it towards a community space. Um, I think that could be really interesting and helpful to all involved. But I don't. It's a little too early, I think, to tell what's going to happen or what the possibilities are. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, co-working space too, right? So I mean, if you if you like, we were talking about. There's so many opportunities as far as you know vacancies that are out there right now. People are looking to get um, you know those spots filled. Uh, and so if you if you have something that's more of like a co-working space, it would make sense. Um, so yeah, I, I'm interested to see how that works out. But it is interesting as well. I wonder, after all this pandemic stuff kind of uh, calms down, are we going to stay with that virtual structure that we have right now? Since it is so effective, uh, you know, or I guess, convenient for a lot of people. And specifically the JP type of people. I mean, if you're if you're not having to, you know, go back and forth, you can handle more clients. Uh, you can you can you know serve people's needs, and that will kind of account for uh, you know make up for uh, you know maybe charging a little less, so you can you know take care of people. So it's interesting. I mean, do you think that if you were to get back to in-person work, which is important, you know, to sit down with people and actually have a conversation, it's very important. But if you were to uh, get you know get back to that what would that look like would you would you encourage people to do virtual things or would you want to push them out i don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah um so some of it i think is going to depend too on what the courts end up doing because so at this point um i don't know what the exact breakdown would be but we have a a, a growing group of attorneys who are in the suburbs now right. so you know, they're only coming downtown usually when they have court. Um, they're not really coming downtown for anything else. And if court continues to offer virtual options going forward, which I think is great, um, I think that means we for sure need to offer more virtual options or have that be an option as part of a training or event so we can include more of those people. Because we have found that this past year we've seen, you know, seen on Zoom, um, you know, a lot of people that we haven't seen in the past and it's because they just don't live close and they're not downtown as often. Mm -hmm. So we wanna make sure we're including them. Um, 
But I do think a lot of JEP attorneys, I suspect a lot of them will maintain virtual practices or practices without any sort of physical space or storefront, um, which I'm hoping then means, you know, they'll, they'll still come into the space for socials and maybe trainings here and there um, and make that in-person time hopefully will be more meaningful to them. But I'm hoping that too then means if they're kind of recapturing some time that they no longer have to spend on commuting, I'm hoping that means that we can um, hopefully work with them to get, I guess physically probably get them into um, some community events and things like that that you know, typically they might not have time to do because again, having to go downtown to court or walk everywhere. Um, So I'm hoping we can still be physically present. I think it's just maybe in a different, slightly different way. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting comfortable doing everything virtually. I think people, there's gonna be a lot of people that are actually sad when things open back up. (laughs) I have a feeling. Um, I actually had a customer the other day that was like, hey, uh, can you, you know, I think it would be better if we just met in person for a website which is great. You know, I would do that sometimes, but um, I had to go down to the city for that. And I'm up in Rolling Meadows. So, you know, it's like, uh, maybe let's just do Zoom, right? Uh, so I figure there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are probably like that. It makes sense to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really uh, wondering what that's going to look like as well. But I love what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about yourself, because you have an interesting story. You actually studied business first, right? I mean, that was your Tell me a little bit about that. How'd you get into this? Yeah, it's kind of a long story. Um, but I did I did go to undergrad at Indiana University and I did major in business. Um, my dad worked for an insurance company, so he, he was not an entrepreneur himself, but he always kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit and I think really wanted either my sister or myself to um, own a business at some point. So I think that's kind of where it came from and um, I did enter IU as an entrepreneurship major and ended up switching to marketing, but did graduate with a business degree and really enjoyed business. And um, it took me a while to figure out and make my way to law school, but I eventually did. And initially, I actually thought I would combine my legal degree with my and get an MBA or just combine it with my business degree mm-hmm. um, and do like business-related work. I, I didn't have any lawyers in my family, so I didn't know what any of this meant. Um, and later I found out, you know, that would probably mean going to a big firm, which I had zero interest in doing. Um, so I graduated law school and started in family law. Um, I had an interest in that, and but I didn't know what that meant. Again, I, I had some clerkships in law school and I had a good clinic experience. Um, but then once I was finally out and kind of doing it, I quickly discovered that I didn't really like litigation at all. Um, so that obviously took a lot of options off the table, and I just didn't have interest in any of the practice area either. So I knew I needed to probably transition to something else, but I had no idea what. And um, a position opened up at the Chicago Bar Association in their CLE department, and I was active in the CBA. Um, and so I took, I applied for it, I got it, and I thought that this would be a great opportunity to just meet a lot of people and explore what is out there, because. I really didn't have any sense of it. And that ended up working out really well, and it was through that job that I learned about the Chicago Bar Foundation. Um, And this is pre-JEP, but I got to know them a little bit more and more about the work, and I did some volunteer work with them. And then when a position became available, um, 
they reached out and asked if I wanted to interview for it, and I ended up getting it. And then actually around the time I started, it wasn't, it was shortly thereafter that they launched the, the JEP. Um, I was in a different position, so I was not directing the program at the time, but um, I wish that would have been around when I graduated from law school and started my own practice, because that would have been really helpful. <laughs> we were just kind yeah. of like, I mean, I, because I was a business major, I wasn't concerned, too concerned with the business aspect of running a law practice. I was much more concerned with um, the practice side of it, especially once it got it got more contested. Um, right, but right. yeah, I mean, that would have been great. If nothing else, it would have been great to have the community that JP provides. That's something that just didn't really exist before. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting story because you're like the opposite of uh, you know the people <laughs> exactly. that are coming into the program. So I mean, that's probably a good thing though. I mean, you can you can see it from the other end. You can you can approach it from a different angle and. You know, meet yeah. in the middle. I'm sure it's helpful for you too, just to see kind of people coming in and their perspective. Definitely, I would have had I stayed and and you know continued to operate my own practice. I would have been one of those people I think who liked business more than the practice of law. Yeah. So it's exciting when we see those people, and um, for sure, we almost everyone loves practicing. It's sometimes harder to get them to love business, but yes, I love it, and I think that is helpful as I. Um, put things together and coach them the best of my ability. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I love that. So we're, we're, assuming things get a little bit back to normal and you can kind of open up, what are some of the things that you want to expand into? What, what are some of the programs that you'd like to add if you could get more fund, funding? You know, what, where, where do you see the JEP, you know, five years from now? What do you think? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, I mean, one of the things... So first of all, I guess I should mention, you know, there's a team of us that work at the JEP. It's not just me. I have um, two other colleagues who all the three of us dedicate 100% or close to 100% of our time on the program. Um, what would we do? So, I mean, a big another the other hat that I wear is the innovation hat. Right. And a lot of what that consists of is trying to get what we learn at the JEP and get it out into the broader legal profession. So I think we would probably spend some time on how to do that best. Um, I think we, we've never landed on anything in particular within the program, um, maybe because we haven't had this, that opportunity yet. But we have, there's tremendous value in the training that we're offering. Um, and I think we would figure, we would spend some time and some money um, maybe creating a platform that we could use to share that information with others or um, I mean the trainings right now you know we record them on YouTube but they're not set up in a way that's probably um, you know if, if an education company were going to set up best practices I'm sure our trainings do not meet that for like on-demand training so I think we would probably uh, focus on maybe some on-demand training that we could share broader beyond the JEP that's probably where we would start um, I don't know. There are probably so many things. There's we so do. many things. Yeah, I just <laughs> I figured I'd pick your brand, right? Um, I, I wonder. You know, I mean, there, there's so many different options. There's so many different things that you can do. Um, you know, in person or or virtually. You know, the online training thing is a great idea for right now. I mean, if you could do that now, that would probably be excellent. But you know, those things take time. Um, yeah. Now, do you do you get feedback from the people that? I assume you probably ask for feedback from the people that graduate the program. Do they come back? Do they want to help? You know, do you get people that want to help, you know, the new people coming in or how does that environment look? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and we try to make that clear when we're interviewing people and recruiting people. Like these are the type of people we want. People who are, again, collaborative, open source, and looking to give back. And we do find that our attorneys give back once they graduate. So once you graduate from the 18-month program, you still have access to pretty much everything that you had while you were in the program, mm -hmm. um, minus space. If you want to continue to have access to the space, you have to pay a fee, a rental fee, right? Um, but you, you still have access to, you can still drop in on in on any of the trainings that we offer, including, excuse me, that boot camp or any other trainings that we're offering to the current cohort. They still have access to our online knowledge management system. Um, they still have access to the online community platform that we use, which is um, hosted by Mighty Networks, um, and all of the templates and everything else, and, and to the other attorneys. They Oh, and to our referral platform, too. So we do have a website, jepchicago.org, which you had mentioned, for people who are looking for legal help, they can go to that website, uh, answer a few questions, and be electronically connected with an attorney in our network. So yeah. upon graduation, attorneys, for no extra charge, uh, there is a, a fee for to participate in the program, but once you become an alum, at least at this point in time, there's no charge to stay part of that. You just have to continue to commit to um, our principles, and I've talked a lot about those principles during this conversation, but then also some basic service standards. But assuming you do, you can stay connected, and we do use a lot of our attorneys. Um, at this point, this is, this is great, because we couldn't do this initially, but we're at a point now where we can actually use attorneys for a lot of um, a lot of our trainings, they, they lead the trainings now, which is awesome. Because that's what people really want to hear. They want to hear from people who were formerly in their shoes. Right. So they do that. They, um, they serve as mentors. Uh, we have a couple of JV attorneys now on our advisory board, which is really great. So yes, they do stay involved. And we do collect feedback from people. Um, we usually do it. I mean, we do it informally throughout the program, for sure. But um, in these annual check-ins that I mentioned earlier that we're going through right now, we ask a bunch of questions, we send out a survey um, asking all kinds of different questions, and then we follow up with a 30-minute meeting and kind of talk through things, and that is yeah. definitely a great time to, gra to grab feedback, so yeah. Definitely, yeah. And you know, I mean, we, we, uh, we do these things and we, they go by fast. Uh, I know your time is obviously valuable as well, so I wanted to give you an opportunity, you know, before we wrap this thing up, if, if, if I'm in law school right now and I'm listening to this, what is your pitch to me to come to you? To come to us? If you're in law school and you are a socially justice-minded person who really wants to help people and you also are jazzed about the idea of being your own boss and owning your own company, then I think you should definitely consider coming to us because we are the marriage of those two things and we will provide you with all the resources you need to kickstart um, that kind of practice so yeah where are, you, where are you located again uh we are located at 73 west monroe if you want to learn more about us you can go to www.chicagobarfoundation backslash jep uh you, you're also free to reach out to me i'm happy to schedule time to chat my email address is j b e d n a r z at chicagobarfoundation.org perfect jessica bednars i, I appreciate it um, very, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing that you're doing. I, I love the idea of getting people uh, into the entrepreneur space, 
you know, getting people away from the, 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 the normal kind of structure of the way things operate and just kind of shaking things up is really important sometimes, now more than ever. Um, there's a lot of good work that I'm sure that you and, you know, the, the people over there are going to be doing in the future. So, um, again, for people that are interested in this, uh, you know, check out chicagobarfoundation.org slash JEP. And if you are looking for an attorney, uh, you know, if you're looking for legal, you know, advice uh, or anything like that, reach out to jepchicago.org for more information. Um, and I, I really appreciate you, Jessica. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.